0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Bowtech Archery prides themselves on offering a bow for everyone. Whether you have a short draw length, a long draw length, pull 70 pounds or 40 pounds, you're a bow hunter or a target archer, they offer a bow that can be customized to fit your body type. On top of that, their deadlock technology allows you to fine-tune your aeroflight. Visit bowtecharchery.com and check out the sr 350 and the CP-28. Bowtech Archery, refuse to follow.
1: The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast brought to you by Arrowhead Land Company. Here you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight because here we go. What's up, folks? Welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast. We have an exciting episode this week, and I say it's exciting because we have actual hunting to talk about. That's right. I'm fresh off my trip from Nebraska. I just got home like two days ago or something like that. I took a bunch of notes on my phone while I was out there so I could remember all my talking points. Uh, So that's what we're going to be covering today. If you have ever dreamed of or thought about doing an out-of-state DIY hunt like this, do it. Uh, That's all I can say. Do it. I learned so much and we're going to get into it more, but I learned so much about myself as a hunter. Uh, I learned a lot about deer. I learned a lot about habitat, how they use terrain. Um, yeah, I just learned a whole, whole bunch, uh, by putting myself out there. So I would definitely encourage it. Look forward to it in the future and, and just go do it. Like there's never a better time than right now. So just go do it. So that's what we're going to cover this week. I do have a few quick announcements, nothing too much, just some little updates. Um, I am finally getting some consistent trail camera photos again. Uh, The cows are gone. Finally got all the cows out. haven't got a cow picture in like two weeks. Um, uh, So yeah, those are gone. Been getting some pretty consistent deer activity. Uh, I got one deer that I'm pretty excited about. And uh, I will definitely be going after him if he sticks around. And then I got two other bucks that are um, not high-scoring deer. Uh, if anything, I would probably call them a ma- call them management bucks. Uh, one of them's uh, a pretty decent eight. Really tall, but just terrible main beams. No length on his main beams. And I uh, saw him a bunch last year. I believe he's a five-year-old. And he's just not the type of five-year-old deer that I want running around our property. And then I got one that's probably a little bit younger. I'm going to say he's probably a four-year-old and uh, probably score even less than the other one, but he's, he's also a mainframe eight. But on one of his G2s, it's like it just stopped growing. It's probably four to five inches long and it has kind of like a weird little ball thing on top. And uh, at first I was like, oh, he probably just, you know, hit it while it was growing or something. Uh, but I'm actually uh, thinking back, I think I actually got a picture of that deer last year and he did the exact same thing. Uh, so again, just not something that I want running around the property. And uh, they're mature enough that I, I don't have any hope for them getting better. And so, so yeah, they're definitely on the hit list. And then, like I said, I got the one good buck that um, still haven't come up with a name for him. Uh, I think the two eight points, I'm going to call them Stubby and Scrappy. Uh, so y'all will probably get to hear more about them later on. Uh, but, yeah, it's just it's encouraging to have some bucks running around. Uh, I think I talked about it last week. I got three of my five feeders running. Um, still got to get two more up and going. And then I also need to plant my food plots. I got them all sprayed last time I was up there. I was hoping to sneak up there and get it done this weekend. But I just don't think that's going to happen uh, after leaving my wife alone with our two-month-old for five days. Uh, I'm pretty much just going to have to man up and, uh, and stay around the house this weekend, I think. so. Uh, but most likely, I'll get to go the following weekend. Um, that would have been two, three weeks since uh, I sprayed the chemical. So normally, I don't like to leave it quite that long, but that's just kind of the cards I was dealt. So it's going to be fine. Uh, so yeah, talked about bucks, talked about food plots. Um, I think that's about all the stuff I have in the intro. I did want to just kind of give my my podcast sponsors here an extra quick little shout-out because I'm very thankful that they're supporting me in this. Uh, So Arrowhead Land Company, Private Water Fishing, and Deer Lab. Those three company guys, go check them all out. Um, They're just fantastic people. I've talked with the owners of all three companies. Um, I've had most, I think, two of the three on. Uh, I need to get John on from Deer Lab. Um, but yeah, just great companies, great people to work with, and so I just wanted to give them an extra, some extra love this week. So so yeah, I think that's it for this intro. We're going to dive right in. I have a ton of stuff to cover. Um, I had a pretty crazy four-day adventure, um, from car trouble to getting access to getting stopped by uh, landowners all kinds of stuff, uh, and then obviously learning a whole bunch along the way. So so that's what we have. We're going to jump into some commercials real quick, and then we're going to get going. Thank you guys for listening to this podcast. Please share it with your family, your friends, your coworkers, whatever it is, you, whoever it is you want to share it with, uh, because the more we grow, the better job I can do for you guys. So, so that's going to do it for me for this intro. I hope you guys are ready for this one. I'm excited to tell you guys about my trip, and uh, yep, here we go deer lab is the number one trail camera app for hunters and land managers from photo recognition to tracking individual animals deer Lab's trail camera app saves you time is easy to use and works with all trail camera manufacturers DeerLab makes it drop dead simple to track specific animals or groups of animals using your trail camera photos profiles allow you to understand patterns by date ranges times and camera locations Deer Lab's heat map allows you to visually see how a profiled animal moves at different times of the year. For all these features and more, check out DeerLab.com. One Lake, all day, all yours. That's the Private Water Fishing Motto. Private water fishing is a member based fishing club that offers a superior outdoor experience and some of the best bass fishing in Oklahoma and Texas. Private means private. When you reserve a lake, you have exclusive access with no other members on the lake with you. These are professionally managed and stocked lakes, most of which are over 10 acres in size. If you want to get in on the action, call 214-871-0044 or go online at privatewaterfishing.com. Arrowhead Land Company has one goal, to help the hardworking landowners of Oklahoma and beyond. Founders Will Bellis and Andrew Schultz have years of real estate experience behind them and will use it to help you either buy or sell that little slice of heaven. Real estate is one of the oldest and safest investments you can make in this great country of ours, so it makes sense that you want to trust that decision with someone who really knows the business and wants what's best for you. And it certainly doesn't hurt if that person knows a thing or two about hunting also. Check out Arrowhead Land Company for all your land buying and selling needs. All right, guys. Here we go. So the adventure started last Friday. Uh, my wife and I decided to switch vehicles because I drive a company truck and I didn't want to put the miles and diesel and stuff. I'm a boss, so so I was in my wife's Jeep Grand Cherokee and uh, took it to work that day. I already had my stuff packed. Ended up getting off work a little bit early. Uh, stopped at the grocery store to grab some snacks and stuff, and then took off. Left town about three o'clock. So I'm headed northbound 35. Had about an eight and a half hour drive. And uh, I went through Wichita, Kansas, decided to stop on the north side before I kind of got out of the town and eat dinner real quick. So I stopped at Arby's, ran inside, used the bathroom, got my food to go because I was in a hurry, Uh, got back in the car, took off. And uh, about like two minutes after I took off, uh, I got a a warning light that it was overheating, which didn't make much sense to me because, you know, it had just been parked for like 15 minutes. Uh, So I thought it actually might have been a sensor. So I pulled over to the side of the road, shut the car off, turned it back on. Temperature came back normal. I was like, oh, that was probably it. So take off again, a couple minutes down the road, it beeps again. So pull over, pop the hood and sure enough, I can, I can hear the coolant and stuff bubbling and it's overheating. And so, uh, get on my phone and start looking for, you know, a gas station or somewhere to buy some coolant. And, uh, the closest one to me was five miles down the road. And so I, uh, just sat there for a little bit, you know, let it kind of cool off. Uh, I had bought some water bottles, so I poured a, a bottle or two of water in it just to make sure it had something in there. And uh, took off just kind of creeping along. I was going like 45 miles an hour on the interstate or on the shoulder. And, uh, you know, it was it was a little hot, but nothing terrible. So I, I didn't think I was doing any damage. Uh, ended up, I got to the, the gas station I was headed for, but across the street was a tractor supply. I was like, oh, that's way better. So go in there, buy a jug of coolant, uh, pour it in. And it doesn't quite fill it up. And so I go back in, get a second jug just in case, pour like, I don't know, an eighth of it in there. And it's perfect between the lines. I'm looking underneath it. I don't see any leaks or anything like that. And so I was like, well, maybe it just kind of happened to time out that it was low on coolant. So, uh, you know, I still had most of a jug left. And I was like, all right, I'm I'm feeling pretty good. So take off again for like almost two hours. Everything's fine. You know, I'm keeping an eye on the gauge. Everything looks fine. And then all of a sudden I I notice the temperature is creeping up again. So pull over again, uh, check it. It's, it's not as bad as it was the first time. Uh, you know, it's not really bubbling or something, but it's got some pressure in there. So pour the rest of that jug in, it tops it off again. I'm looking for a leak or something and I don't see any leak. Um, you know, there's, there's like some, some liquid on the engine and stuff, but, uh, you know, when it got real hot, it kind of spews out and stuff. I just figured it was that I'm looking under the car, nothing's leaking can't figure it out. And it's dark by this time, so, you know, can't see real well. I'm using my phone flashlight. So, take off again, watching it. Everything's going fine. And uh, I'm, I'm right about the Kansas-Nebraska border. And I come to this little town. I think it was the last town before I left Kansas. And, uh, and I noticed that the temperature was creeping up just a little bit. So, pull into this gas station. It's like 1045 at night or something like that. So, I have a feeling that a lot of these, you know, little small town gas stations are going to stop closing. So or start closing, sorry. So I go into the gas station, and they had one jug of 50-50 mixed coolant, and then they had one jug of concentrate. So I ended up buying both of them, just because, again, I was afraid I wasn't going to be able to stop anywhere else if I needed some. And uh, so uh, put the 50-50 in there, and then I take one of the empty jugs to go fill it up out of a water hose. Uh, so that way, you know, I the concentrate. I got basically two more jugs worth. So so fill that up. Uh, and again, it was getting a little hot, but nothing bad take off again and uh and long story short, I ended up having to stop like two or three more times. Uh I ended up I didn't have to buy any more, but the last jug of coolant that I used, I mean like it was starting the temperature was starting to get hot again, like as I pulled into the driveway of my uh, sister and brother-in-law's house and so barely made it. Um a little bit before that I actually got pulled over uh, I, I was going 75 and a 70 and I get pulled over and the cop comes, she, it was a female cop. She comes up to my passenger side, uh, lower the window. And, you know, she asked for a license and registration and I hand it to her and, uh, I was like, was I speeding? And she was like, yeah, you were speeding. And I was like, uh, and I was like, isn't it 70. And uh, she's like, yep, but I clocked you at 75. <laughs> I was like, oh, you got me. Like, good thing. So anyway, long story short, she didn't give me a ticket, luckily. But I did get pulled over for going five over in the middle of nowhere, Nebraska. So I thought that was kind of funny. So anyway, by the time I all the car trouble and getting pulled over and all that stuff, I ended up not getting uh, there till like 1.30, 2 a.m., something like that. I don't remember exactly what time it was. So, uh, my hope was to get there in time to like drive around at night, you know, with the headlights, maybe look for a little deer or at least check the crops. That was the main thing I wanted to do. Cause I knew I probably wouldn't going to be able to see into the fields. Um, but basically it was too tired. So pulled in. Uh, I ended up sleeping in a little bit that night. I just, I, I couldn't bring myself. My hope was to wake up at like 5.30 and and get out there real early and drive around, but that just didn't happen. I just was too tired. Uh, I also kept the baby the night before I left, or I think the, actually the two nights before I left, just trying to like help my wife out before I went. So I was like, I was exhausted going into this trip. I was not going into this well-rested. So, so but I finally get up there. Um, again, so my, my, sisters in-laws the way that it works they actually have two pieces of property uh her father-in-law lives uh on one piece of property that they have it's a wide open ag field and then just down the road they have this other property and that's the property that i've been scouting uh, it's about 110 acres i've described it before it's about half corn about a third uh crp and then whatever's left on along this one edge there's kind of like this wooded draw and so that's the that's what i had been scouting that's what i was planning on hunting Um, I knew that it was hunted heavily by the neighbors. Not this property, but the neighboring property. They had kind of warned me that they were, you know, if it's brown, it's down type people. So I knew all that going in. uh, But I woke up, went out there to the property, scattered around, walked along the edge. um, Found a spot that I thought looked good for a stand. It was kind of, it was like a, they had actually cleared like a little right away to get to the other side of the draw where it was still their property between them and the neighbors. Um, So... I was like, man, I got this wooded draw here. I can hang my stand here. The neighbor had a bean field uh, just south of there. The wind was going to be okay. Not great, but okay. Uh, but that's kind of just what I thought I had to work with. And so hung my stand. I had my, hung, my stand hung by like 10 a.m. Go back to the house. Uh, my, so I, I, should, I feel like I should give some names here. My sister's name is Sarah. Her husband is Justin. So Justin's the one that, um, you know, I was on his family's property. His dad's name is Kenny, and his brother's name is Cody. And so Cody and Kenny live up there. Justin had moved to uh, down to Texas. That's where him and my sister met, and they recently just moved back up there. So they're all in Nebraska now. Um, Cody and Kenny are awesome. They're super hosp- hospitable uh and cody is like a heck of a mechanic and they have a full shop there they have like a whole machine working oh yeah machine shop um plus their farmers so just really know what they're doing so i got back to the house i'd taken my sister's truck that morning get back to the house they had my my wife's jeep up on a lift i mean they were taking it apart they had everything going and, uh, they, and they weren't there. So I go into the house, my sister's there. She's like, Hey, I don't know if they've talked to you at all about what's going on, but they, uh, found out that your water pump is leaking. They've already gone to find a part, uh, because, you know, they were worried about everything closing with Labor Day weekend. A lot of stuff closes at noon on Saturday. And so they were like doing all this on their own. I had not talked to him at all. Like I had told my sister that i had had those problems and they were just doing all this stuff. And so, uh, so uh, I'm just sitting there talking to my sister. Justin gets home. He's like, hey, Cody and dad are at Cody's house. They're, you know, gathering some parts and stuff. Let's head over there. So we get in the car and we're driving over there. And uh, and I'm, you know, kind of looking around and talking to stuff. And we pass this uh, piece of property. And it's like pretty timbered, you know, some good looking deer stuff. And uh, Justin's like, oh, like, hey, you could probably hunt this too. And I was like, excuse me? And he's like, yeah, like, we lease this. Cody lives on this property, and we lease all this farm ground. And so we get up there to the house, and uh, I'm talking to Cody. I was like, hey, uh, do, you, do you think I can hunt this? And he's like, oh, yeah, like, no problem. This is my, my landlord's and blah, blah. He said we can do whatever we want. And so right away I'm like, all right, this looks way better than the overhunted piece of property that I've been scouting this whole time. And so uh, so anyway, we left there. We go back. We work on the Jeep for a while. or Really, I watched them work on the Jeep for a while. Uh, we replaced the water pump. They had found one. And uh, we're, we are pouring some more coolant in to kind of test it out. And Cody's like, man, I think it's still leaking somewhere. And we look closer and kind of messing with stuff. And we actually found where uh, this bracket that uh, connects to the, the fuse box had popped off. And it had just been rubbing for who knows how long on this metal coolant line. And it actually cut all the way through it. And so the reason it wasn't leaking super fast is because as long as that bracket was in the crack, it kind of stopped it up. But you know, anytime I would hit a bump or it would just vibrate too much, it would leak some coolant. Because uh, you know I was driving like over hour, hour and a half at a time, uh, and everything was just fine. Like the car wasn't overheating, so felt good that we you know we actually knew what the problem was. Uh, he was like, you know, the problem is I just don't know if we're gonna be able to get this line this weekend. And so they did a little farm engine, ingen- uh, ingenuity and they're like, Hey, let's just replace it with a rubber line. And so they're like, man, like we got to get a rubber line. It's, so this, this, I, this has nothing to do with the hunting trip, but it's part of the story. So I'm telling it anyway. And so, uh, Kenny, uh, Justin's dad walk, he's like, Oh, hold on just a second. He walks out of the shop. Comes back in, he's like, "Hey, I called the owner of the local parts store. He's going to meet me up there and sell me everything we need." So, I, I want to take this moment to just say, "I love small towns. I love the Midwest." Uh, so, yeah, he went up there. He met the owner there. The owner sold, you know, sold him some tubing and clips and everything that they needed. And so they ended up getting the car fixed for us, essentially free. They wouldn't let me pay them. Uh, I did buy them a 24-pack of Coors Light. That's what they drink. And so they were pretty happy with that. And then uh, i he doesn't know this, or he might know it by now, but I secretly left some cash on the nightstand uh, to pay for the parts also. But but uh, anyway, so the car was kind of taken care of at that point, and uh, it was time to get hunting. So I, was like, I told my sister, I was like, hey, I know I just set that stand up, but I'm going to go grab that stand, take it down, and move it over to this other spot. And so while they were working on the car, I had done a little bit of, you know, map scouting on my phone, uh, but I had not stepped foot on this property. Uh, all I saw from the road was that you pulled into this little timbered area, and there was this, like, awesome secluded, like, 10 to 15 acre bean field. Like, that's all I knew about it. So... Uh, drive over there for the afternoon hunt. I get there about three thirty, four o'clock, because I wanted to have a little bit of time to scout. Um, I just put my stand on my back, uh, so I was doing a hanging hunt, and uh, the wind was blowing kind of northeast um, that evening. And so uh, on the west side of this property, like the neighbors to the west, it was a just pasture. They had some mules and uh, a couple horses in there. And then to the east was their big corn field. There was, a little, there was a creek, like a timbered creek in between there. And then there was some really thick timber to the north. And so my plan was to hang my stand on the west side of the field, hopefully catch some deer coming from the north out into that bean field. So uh, I walked down to the other end. Um, normally, like if this would have been like a... a uh, I, I keep wanting to say private versus public. It was all private land, but it was new, so I, I keep wanting to say public. Uh, if this was would have been a place that I was going to be hunting a lot, um, I would have stopped much quicker than what I stopped. But I went ahead and walked all the way to the creek. You know, I was looking for access trail. I wanted to know how deep the creek was. Like, could a deer cross this creek? And if a deer really wanted to, a deer could cross that creek. But it was pretty steep. It was pretty deep. And so I don't, I didn't think that deer were going to be crossing it, which was somewhat good for me because I basically knew they were going to come from the Northwest or the Northeast. Um, My gut told me they were going to come from the Northeast, but the wind was also coming from the Northeast. So I couldn't set up on the East side. So picked a good tree on the West side, set up and, uh, and settled in. So basically just sitting there for, I mean, I ended up sitting in my stand for four hours that evening, uh, watched a lot of college football on my phone basically until it died. Um, Nothing really happened until about 6.30. Uh, It got dark about 8.30. And uh, 6.30, I saw my first deer of the trip. It was a doe. She had a little fawn with her. And just like I thought, they came out of that northeast corner, walked along the edge of the timber in the bean field, but they didn't come out into the bean field. And I learned a lesson this evening. Um, On the south end of the bean field, like where you pull into the property, the beans were still pretty green. Uh, but as you walk back, and I was not paying attention to the beans as I walked in because I was looking for a stand set up and trails and stuff, the beans had gotten really, really yellow uh, back where I was hunting, and I basically didn't notice till I was already set up, and I had heard, you know, kind of heard from, I've never hunted beans uh, but I'd heard from, you know, YouTube videos and podcasts and stuff that deer don't really like beans once they kind of start dying and turn yellow. Um, not until late in the winter, then they'll come out and eat the pods, but uh, but they stop eating the leaves after they turn yellow. And that's basically what I was hunting was yellow soybeans. beans. Um, I still thought it was better than the other property. I thought I had a better chance of seeing like a good buck um, on this property. So I, I, I decided to stay and hunt it. Um, ended up seeing two more does later that evening they basically did the same thing they came out of that northeast side skirted the tree line on the east side and then disappeared so so that was my first evening Um, again learned a lot Uh, you know set up my my lone wolf stand i was using lone wolf stand and sticks Um, i really i i loved the stand the stand did really good i was a little disappointed with the sticks Uh, not necessarily with the performance but they are so bulky. These are like the old original Lone Wolf sticks. There, I should have measured them before I did this, but they're like they're at least probably thirty-two inches long. They're just very long, and so they were just very clunky. Uh, the stand I could strap in my on my pack. I was using an Eberlostock. stock, kind of a Western style backpack, and it has a load shelf for putting like a an elk quarter in, and so I was able to put the stand down in that, and then I would put the sticks in the actual backpack and zip them up, and. They were just really long, and uh, so if I if I was going to buy one piece of gear after this trip, it would probably be new, like, shorter, more compact sticks. Um, they did the job, and uh, I actually ended up, I didn't know it at the time, next evening I ended up not even using that stand, so it didn't really matter that much. Uh, but if I was going to be, like, hunting local public land more, or doing more hanging hunts, I would buy a more compact a climbing stick so that's kind of a a gear thing but so anyway the evening finished um four does which i thought was pretty darn good like for never even like i didn't even know that i could possibly hunt that property until like 11 or 12 that day and i was on it at four o'clock hunting so uh seeing four deer i was actually pretty pretty happy with myself um but i think my my concerns and my thoughts about those beans were um we right. Like the deer that I did see, they didn't come out into the beans. You know, they kind of walked along the edge and then just kind of went back into the timber and disappeared. So, so, uh, I, at this time I thought that was still the best spot to hunt. Um, but I, I wanted, I, I didn't think those beans were going to be good. And so looking at my phone and my map that night, um, the neighbor to the North. So there was this bean field. I talked about timber to the North. And then on the other side of that timber, uh, that neighbor had some really green beans. I could see them from the next road over, the next gravel road. And so uh, my thought process was for the next day, go scout, try to get into that timber. I couldn't actually hunt the beans themselves. The creek, that, that creek went up and was that was the property boundary. Uh, but my thought was maybe I could find like a creek crossing or something like that, going from the timber out into the beans. And so when I went to bed that night, that was my game plan for the next day. All right. So day two, day two is where the trip really took a turn for the better. Um, I wanted to spend a lot more time on day two. That's why I kind of somewhat rushed through the previous stuff. But anyway, decided not to hunt, um, that, and that killed me (laughs) only being there for like two and a half days, not hunting in the morning killed me, but just the way things lined out, um, there was no way I could like get into my stand on that bean field if there were deer in the bean field and so I decided it'd be better to not pressure that area because I thought that I'd be hunting right behind it that evening and so I just didn't want to push it and plus I was still exhausted from my trip up there so slept in just a little bit and uh, when I walked downstairs that morning to leave uh, my sister's father-in-law Kenny was downstairs in his chair and you know, I was just kind of talking to him, being nice, and, uh, and I asked him, because I'd already seen that creek and how nasty it was. My plan was to go across the creek to that timber. So I asked Kenny, I was like, hey, like, do you know of any easy way to cross that creek? And he's like, man, is there water up? And I was like, ah, oh, not too bad, but it's just kind of nasty and deep and stuff. And he's like, well, the easiest thing to do, just go down the road a little bit over the bridge and walk up that side. And I was like, well, I mean, I'd love to do that, but is that y'all's land? He's like, oh, that's just Hank. It's no problem. And so I was like, all right. I mean, are you sure you doesn't mind? He's like, oh, no, he doesn't mind. And so I was like, okay. So drove over there, parked on the side of the road, uh, loaded my backpack up with some, you know, just water, and my binoculars, uh, didn't take my bow or anything uh, because I was on this other guy's, going to be on this other guy's property. And so take off and, uh, man, it was the most educational walk through, uh, any type of terrain that I've ever had. Um, I discovered that, uh, you know, people always talk about how deer are creatures of edge. And I thought that I knew what that meant before this trip, but I had no idea. Um, the edge in Nebraska, and I'm going to, you know, generalize somewhat the Midwest is just, it's just different than what we have down here. Uh, and at least in my portion of Oklahoma, Um, And I think a lot of it had to do with the different tree species. So here in my area, we have, you know, mostly oak. It's oak dominated or, you know, hickories. Very oak. If it's not an oak, it's a very oak like tree, most likely. And oaks have big, thick, bushy uh, canopies. No sunlight gets through. And, you know, they grow up next to each other and absolutely no sunlight gets through. And so, and if it's not that, it's usually cedar trees. And cedar trees have, you know, limbs that stick out. Uh, they hang low to the ground. They block all the sunlight underneath them. And so, they just, it's, it's like grass. And then there's like a dead stop. And then you have like nothing underneath trees down here. Well, it's just not that way up there. Um, and, and again, this is just like, this is not scientific. This is just my observation. I think it's because they had, like a lot of the trees were cottonwoods that grow very tall um, and they still have fairly thick, fairly thick canopies, but they're just so much taller and they go more up than they do go out. And so sunlight really, they still, sunlight still gets underneath it. And if it wasn't a cottonwood is usually like some kind of elm tree or something like that. Uh, much more sparse, not very thick, smaller leaves. And so, um, you know, a lot of times people would have, uh, fields, you know, like they were either in corn or soybeans. And then a lot of times they'd have like a CRP buffer. And that CRP buffer would go up to uh, a creek, and that's usually where the trees were. The trees were along the creek. They didn't have, like, big blocks of timber, but along these creeks, you'd have some thicker spots. And because of those different trees—again, this is just kind of my observation—that CRP, that thick ground cover, went right up—I mean, really past the base of the tree. Like, it surrounded these trees. And, uh, so I was walking along this edge of the Creek and I just found bed after bed after bed. And the time that I'd find the most beds is like when a tree would have a limb that kind of reached out over that CRP, it was guaranteed to have a bed under it. And if a limb, if a limb had like fallen, there was usually going to be like two or three beds, like it basically in all the branches of the limbs. And, um, and again, like, I mean, it was true edge. Like, it's like what you see on like the hunting public YouTube videos. If you watch those guys, I'm talking like, you know, thick, thick grassy cover up to that creek, like up to that edge. And then that bed, you know, they'd have shade from the tree above them and it was thick all the way around it. You know, I guarantee you they're bedding with the wind coming over that creek so they can smell anything coming that way. And they're looking out into those fields. And it was just amazing. Like, again, I just found bed after bed after bed. I took pictures of several of them. Uh, I found another bed where it was in the back of this field that I'm about to talk about. I headed back to that uh, to that thick timber area where they had uh, bailed, like they had cut. It wasn't CRP, it was just grass and stuff. And they had cut it, and like right on the edge of where they had cut, the thick stuff was still there along the creek. And I found beds in that. And again, like I guarantee you that wind was coming off the creek, they had their back to it and they were bedded right on the edge of that field so they could see out into that wide open area and see anything that was trying to get them from that way. Um, so the edge cover was something that like really stuck out to me. And it got me, th- like I thought the whole way home. I was like, how could I create that uh, at our place here in Oklahoma? And uh, you know, I, I don't know how you do it under an oak tree, but my thought or an idea that I came up with cedars was on the field edge side, maybe cutting some of those lower limbs on that field edge side, leaving the rest as kind of, you know, bushy cover. And maybe that would allow that sunlight to get in and let that vegetation, that grass and stuff, grow up to the base to where a, tree, to where a deer would want to bed at the base of those trees. So just a thought I had. Um, and then, so again, like, you know, with my Oklahoma mind, I was headed to that thick timber because that's where I was thinking the deer would be. Um, even though I knew deer would be out in the CRP, but I, I didn't see much of that. I didn't see many beds out in the middle. They were all on that edge. So I wait, I work my way around through this neighbor's field. I get back to that timber and, uh, like right in the, I'm in the corner of this field and I see like trails all over the place. There's one trail basically following the edge of the field right inside the timber. And then, you know, you'd have one trail going this way, one trail going that way. And I was like, all right, like this could be a good spot. Cause I'm back on the pro- property that I can hunt. I'm in this timber. And, uh, and so I start going further into the timber, just scouting and, it, I was expecting to see like more and thicker trails and maybe find some beds back there. Uh, but I found nothing, guys. Like <laughs> and underneath that that canopy, there was just, I mean, there like there was some kind of weird, crazy plant growing up, but it wasn't very tall. It wasn't very thick. And the further in I got, the less deer sign I saw. I saw less trails, less tracks, less poop, less everything. And I did a pretty good trick, uh, through that timbered patch. Cause again, that's where I was kind of banking on for that evening. Um, but I, I made it, I don't know, halfway in and I immediately realized that that was just not the place to be. Like there was just not deer in there. Um, so I turned around, worked my way back out, uh, got back into the field and started walking back towards my truck. And, uh, and this, this portion of his field was, uh, in corn. And so I thought, you know, I'm just gonna go check out this corn. So I walk over and I noticed the corner was like shorter, but I feel like that happens a lot in crops, like kind of when you get towards the edge, it just, you know, kind of putters out. Uh, but I started looking at the the stocks and it looked like they had been eaten on. And so I walked over there and i walk around and immediately I start seeing deer tracks. I see deer poop and uh, I realized these deer have been eating these corn stalks. And so as I walked back, when I, when I walked in, uh, there, there was a patch of CRP, probably 40, 50 yards wide. And when I walked in, I was between the CRP and the creek. When I walked back to my truck, I walked between the corn and the CRP. And that whole edge had been chewed on by deer. And so I start thinking to myself, like, hmm, maybe I can get permission to hunt this. Like, there's obviously some fresh deer sign here. I don't know where I'd sit. Um, You know, there were some trees there. Uh, I thought about actually just sitting in the corn. I know a lot of people do that. And so I'm working my way back. And uh, I'm I'm finding more beds and stuff along that edge. And again, I'm just realizing like how important that edge habitat is. So get all the way back to my truck and uh, driving down the road and uh, (laughs) a quick little funny story. So I'm driving down the road and I'm I'm looking at this guy's property and I notice he's got some alfalfa. And so I'm like, oh, that's pretty interesting. And so I I stop and I back into this uh, driveway. It's like a driveway to a shop. So I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at the map, and I'm looking out at this alfalfa, and I'm kind of wondering, like, hmm, maybe I can get to hunt this. And and uh, something catches my eye, and I look in my rearview mirror, and I see a vehicle kind of coming up behind me. And so it was obviously the landowner, and so I pulled out and hung a right and, and headed back towards Cody house Cody's house. And I look at my rearview mirror, and they had pulled out on the road and gone the other direction. So I was like, okay, like, you know, I don't want to freak anybody out or make them think I was stealing or something. So I'm just kind of slow rolling down the road, still looking at my map. And uh, a few minutes later, I look in my rearview mirror, and I see this car coming up behind me, the car that I'd seen pull out. And it was way too quick for them to, like, gone somewhere and just happen to be coming back. And so so I speed up a little bit, and I get to Cody's house, and I just go ahead and pull in. I'm going to let them, you know, drive by, and hopefully they know I'm not up to any good, or up to no good. And, uh, well, anyway, they whip in behind me. And uh, it was a couple. It was a man and a woman. The woman was driving. And so I get out and I start walking back towards them and and I go ahead and initiate the conversation. And I was like, Hey, uh sorry, was that y'all's driveway I was in? They're like, Yeah, you know, just didn't recognize the car, who are you? And I was like, Oh, I, I know Cody here. I'm I'm just out here hunting and they're like, Oh, okay. And and uh they just immediately changed their tune. They they basically invited me to come hunt their place if I wanted to. And, uh, he was like, you know, just stay off of this guy's property. Some guy from California pays him $5,000 to come hunt his place. And so kind of got a kick out of that. And, uh, I was like, oh, yeah, I'll stay off of that and blah, blah. I'm just hunting over here. And, uh, you know, it was, it was just kind of funny. It was, it was funny how quickly his attitude changed once he found out that I knew somebody there was local. I also got lucky. I was in my sister's truck, so I had Nebraska plates instead of out of state plates. So that was probably good. Uh, but man, it was, again, he just immediately was like my best friend. He was wishing me luck. He was telling me, you know, deer bed here and then they come out over here. And, uh, so that was just kind of cool getting a little bit of a local knowledge and stuff. So anyway, he was satisfied that I would not you know, stealing anything. So he drives off and, uh, I drive back by the alfalfa and I see some thick stuff to the north side of the alfalfa. And then I also see some old hay bales and I was like, man, that could be a pretty good spot. So get back to the house and, and this was on the same guy's property that i had walked on uh, to get back to that timber so get back to the house and kenny's there and he's asking me how it went and i was like yeah yeah, i got back there and i was like hey uh, you think old hank would maybe let me hunt there and he's like oh yeah go for it and i was like well you know if i'm gonna actually hunt on his property uh, i would appreciate if you maybe just went ahead and called him and asked him so he's like okay you know if it'll make you happy so so he goes and gets his phone comes back a few minutes later he's like yep you're all good and so sweet, and so uh, and then I was just kind of talking to him, and I was like, yeah, you know that bean field, and and he's like, oh, well, like you know, you, you know you can hunt the other side of that too, and I was like, uh, no, like I I just thought you'll had that little strip. He's like, oh no, that that whole corner section is ours. <laughs> and so so uh I went like uh, you know I think I might have said this in the intro, maybe not, but uh, when I drove up there, I thought I had 110 acres to hunt. You know that little section that had been hunted and everything, and uh between their lease land between this guy that he called he also talked about another neighbor uh that he could call in the future like if i wanted to come back later and it, it's it's a place that i'd already been drooling over on on x uh just this cool windy creek with timber and then you know crop fields next to it and stuff and he's like oh yeah seen the biggest buck i've ever seen in my life there if you come back you know we'll call them and get you on there so uh, when i when i came home I, I now have roughly like 1300 acres uh and i'm sure i could add like I basically figured out anywhere in like a three mile radius, all I had to do was ask Kenny to call him and I could probably hunt there. So, so anyway, I had this, uh, this new plan. Uh, I, I could hunt that corn that corner of the corn if I wanted to. Um, but I was looking at this alfalfa field and it just, it just looked awesome. Um, again, that there was a Creek that kind of came around the North side of it had this real thick area. And I mean, it looked exactly like, the picture-perfect edge that I had seen over on the other side. And so kind of running through my mind, basically what I decided was I had, you know, walked all over that other piece and disturbed it and walked all through it. Um, And uh, so I decided not to hunt that place. I decided I was going to hunt the alfalfa. And so uh, made sure the car was good, hung out with my sister and stuff for a little while. And, um, uh, and then headed out that evening to hunt. So I'd brought a five gallon bucket with me just in case I wanted to hunt on the ground. So I had that to sit on. And then i also bought this handy little, like, it was actually, it's made to be a turkey blind. So it's, it's like a little pop-up, basically just a, a fancy little camo cover with some stakes in it, <coughs> excuse me. And so, uh, had my bucket, had my pack and my bow and everything, that little blind And so again, I like, you know, I didn't hang to do a hanging hunt, but again, I'd never stepped foot on this part of the property that I was going to hunt. And so parked on the side of the road, walked over the hill and, uh, there was this perfect little line of hay bales on the North side between. So it was basically alfalfa line of hay bales, CRP, and then this little Creek that had, you know, some scattered trees and and thick stuff against it. So I thought I had the, the perfect setup, um, and then not only was I going to hide in the hay bales, but they were also going to act as kind of like a barrier or a funnel uh, because obviously the deer couldn't walk through the hay bales, So they're going to have to go around it uh, and into the into the uh, alfalfa. And it just so happened that on the back side of those hay bales, like right towards the end, there was a, a busted bale that broken in half. So I had a perfect little setup. So I I was able to sit between the busted bale and the row of bales. Um, to my left, which would have been the west, they were still like thick. There were sunflowers and just thick native grass. Uh, and then I set my little turkey blind up to my right to give me some cover. And I, I picked some grass and like shoved it into the little canopy thing. Uh, and then I had that half bale in front of me. It was per- I could set my bow on top of it and my range finder and everything. It was like having a little table. Uh, but then the the part of the bale that had fallen off stood up higher than that. And so it, it just it blocked everything. It was just awesome. I, I loved it. And so looking on my map, was very excited for that evening. Um, Ended up, it did not work out whatsoever. I don't know how. I don't know why. I would have bet the farm that I was at least going to see some deer and, uh, you know, hopefully some bucks. Uh, I did see a couple deer way off in the distance. I would brought my binoculars and my spotting scope. And so I saw a doe that was probably i don't know three quarters of a mile away or something like that and then towards dark on I mean actually on the uh the five thousand dollar lease i saw several deer over there uh but it was you know a mile away or something like that uh so ended up not seeing any deer obviously did not get a deer um but it was a it was just an awesome experience again i learned so much about deer hunting it was just it was just incredible so I want to shift gears here just a little bit. Um, that was basically my hunt. I didn't get a deer. I made it home safe, uh, but we're not done yet. I want to talk about some of the things that I learned. Um, so number one is scouting really is king. Um, when you get there and you're in an unfamiliar te- uh, an unfamiliar place, like I had done, I had done tons of uh, you know aerial scouting, like maps and stuff on Onyx and Google Earth and stuff before I got there on that one piece of property. Uh, and I was, I was pretty darn close. Like I was in the ballpark of where I hung my stand, you know, where I thought I would need to hang my stand. Um, but like, it was way different when I actually got there, the hills were way bigger. They were way steeper. Um, and then, uh, one thing that I was not prepared for, well, like the CRP, they had, uh, mowed it that year. And so I was expecting this like, you know, five foot tall, nice thick cover. And I got there and it was like maybe 12 inches tall. And so if I wouldn't have gone there, you know, pre hunt and looked at that stuff, I never would have known I would cause I would even considered like just hunting in the CRP uh, that evening. Um, but again, I got out there and it was way different. There was also like, it looked like on the map that there was some pretty thick cover next to the road. And so I thought it was thick enough that deer might be bedded in that. And that could be worth a shot. Uh, but when I got there, it, it wasn't as thick as it looked. The trees were scrawnier than it looked. Um, and that wasn't worth it either. And then just, you know, after I figured out that that place or, well, it really wasn't that I figured out that place wasn't as good. It was just when I got access to that place that was better. Um, you know, I, I had to see it. I had to get in there. Um, I was, I was way more aggressive than I ever would have been in the past. Like I mentioned, if I, if I knew I was going to be hunting it repeatedly, uh, but I knew I was there for a short time. I knew I had to get in there and that's kind of works into my, my second point, if you're on one of these quick trips or an out-of-state hunt like this, you have to be overly aggressive. Uh, I mentioned several times, I I went way further into areas than I ever would have if I was here in my home place. Uh, but it paid off. Um, you know, again, like I that first place, I scattered it. I had a feeling the deer were going to come from that northeast corner, and they did. And then the next day, kind of on the opposite side of that, uh, you know, I was determined that I was going to hunt that thick timber. I thought that would be the ticket. And I got over there and just, and again, I went, I went into the timber. I didn't just stop at the edge and look into it and see like, okay, yeah, I'm coming back. I went into that timber and I realized that it was not worth hunting. Um, and again, that's something I never would have done before either. Um, and then, you know, like the corn, like that corner corn that I was mentioning, I could have hunted that I discovered and stuff. Um, you know, I mentioned, I saw some, some tracks and some droppings and stuff there but they weren't the types of tracks I was at. Like I could tell they were smaller tracks, definitely does and fawns and stuff like that. And so that was also part of the reason I didn't end up hunting there because I had seen the tracks. There was nothing that really looked like a big mature buck. Um, and so because I went in there, because I went deep and walked it all and everything, I could check it off the list. Basically that's kind of the the moral of that story. Uh, so be overly aggressive because you may find something really good or you may f- discover that it's just not worth your time in general. So those are the two, t- two takeaways. Um, another one that I kind of learned the hard way, don't hunt yellow beans. Especially if there are still green beans close, um, the deer are going to find those green ones. They just, I don't know what it is, but they just don't like them. Uh, another takeaway, um, deer will eat corn. You know, that's something that I talked to, to Tony Peterson about going into this was, uh, you know, I, I, thought deer might use the corn as bedding, but I wasn't sure if they would eat it. And, uh, and he, you know, basically tended to say that they usually don't. And I agree with that. Like, uh, you know, of all, I, I saw thousands and thousands and thousands of acres of corn. And I found this one little patch that had been eaten on. And it was a place where there was no beans anywhere very close to it. And so deer will eat corn, but, uh, you know, it's not something that I'd necessarily key on. I think if you have beans, that's probably still the first choice. Um, another tip know your equipment uh, I mentioned like you know I've used my my lone wolf a couple times but it's usually been on my private land uh, where I you know go in ahead of time uh, I can take my time I, I'm trying to be quiet but I don't have to necessarily be super quiet um, and I usually don't have to carry it very far or anything like that uh, but this is this was really the first time I'd ever taken that equipment and used it w- what it was meant for, you know, carrying it long distances, setting it up, trying to be quiet, you know, setting it up and hunting it immediately, and and I was fairly pleased with it. Again, very pleased with the stand; it was great, and the sticks did their job. They just weren't necessarily optimal. And I think you know, with as many companies that are getting into the mobile game, I just think there's better options. Um, you know, I think a shorter stick. If if I was going to spend money right now on a set of sticks, I think I would go for a shorter double step stick with an aider, a single aider. I don't I don't think I'd trust the whole like double or triple step or anything. (laughs) Um but having that double step is nice because again when you get up there and you're hanging your stand in that situation and you're trying to be quiet and everything, being able to get both foot both feet on the same level is very nice and also very comfortable. Um, so yeah, that, um, I, I did, I never like packed my stuff up in that pack before I got there. That was a mistake on my part. I kind of knew it would work because I used that pack a lot for other things. Um, but I, I should have done more testing and more setup with that. And also just, I wasn't super quiet, uh, doing all my setup. Um, I wasn't efficient. Like I wasn't doing it in one trip or anything like that. You know, I'd, I'd hang one stick on the ground And then sometimes I could hang my second stick from the ground. But then after that, I'd basically climb up with one stick, hang it, climb down, climb up with my next stick, hang it, climb down, climb up with my stand. And so I just wasn't very quick and efficient. And so if this is something I was going to be doing a lot, I would definitely need to practice a lot more. Um, And then also just kind of a little secondary note be prepared to carry that stuff. Kind of like I mentioned, uh, you know, I knew worst case, I could just carry that stuff under my arms if I needed to. Uh, the pack made it much nicer. Um, But again, I didn't really have like a system down for how to carry it. And I carried it a pretty good distance. And you know, if I would have, you know, if that timber area would have worked out, um, when I did my scouting trip, I ended up doing like 2.2 miles round trip. Uh, and granted, I could have shaved a little bit off of it if I wouldn't have been scouting. But I mean, it would have been probably three quarters of a mile, at least each way. And so carrying that weight, like, you know, that's, I understand more now the guys who are talking about, you know, cutting ounces and, and really getting crazy with their, their lightweight setups, because carrying that stuff, it can wear on you. You know, my stuff wasn't that awful heavy and I had a really nice pack to carry it with. Um, but dialing in your equipment can make these hunts much more enjoyable and also make you much more effective as a hunter. Um... Oh, this was a point I wanted to make sure to, to point out. Um, so I, I ended up hanging my stand twice, even though I hunted out of it once, because I set it up at the first place, tore it down, took it to the other place in the same day. Uh, but both times I set it up, I found myself hanging much lower than I would hang uh, on, like, my private land. And that was kind of for two purposes. Um, one, just trying to be quiet and everything like that. But the biggest reason was not being able to trim as much, Um, And, you know, I was on private land, like I I physically, I could have trimmed more, but you know, I wasn't going to carry a pole saw back there or anything like that. And so, uh, I would basically have to hang low enough that I was kind of under the canopy of the tree. Um, and I, I did carry my little like hand saw and I, I, you know, I cut some limbs and stuff. Um, the first set, I think I used, I think I used all four sticks on the first set, but my fourth stick was basically the same height as my stand. I kind of just put it up there as like a little handle to get in and out. Uh, because at that time, I thought I was going to be hunting that stand, you know, like two or three times. So I was trying to make it more comfortable. Uh, the second time, I was, I was, you know, basically my stand was at the top of my third stick. And I left my fourth stick on the ground. Um, so that's just something to be aware of. Especially, like, you know, that mobile hunting stuff is expensive. And a lot of, a lot of sites are charging, like, by the stick now. And so just something to be aware of is you might not need as many sticks as you might if you were going to hunt private land. Um, you know, I think even with the shorter, if I, if I had bought like shorter sticks with a eighter, I think I could definitely get by with three. Um, and then if you had to, you could always do kind of like a one stick method to get a little higher or just take a screw in step or two to get up a little higher. Um, but yeah, I found myself hanging way low, lower than I normally would. Uh, so that's something to keep in mind. And then my last tip, at least the last one I got written down, I might think might think of another one, is don't be afraid to ask for permission. Um, even if you're like a public land guy and uh, you've scouted public land and you have all this public land, um, it's it just it doesn't hurt to ask. Um, you know, like I said, that that local guy. Granted, like I said, it helped that I knew some people in the area. It helped that I had you know in state license plates, or at least he thought I did. Um, but just talking to him, I mean, he was a super nice guy and it seemed like a lot of the people that I interact with or heard around that, uh, area, um, most of the people were not bow hunters. Um, I think if you were trying to get gun permission, it would have been a different story, but kind of the, the vibe I got from even Cody and Kenny who lived there and, you know, that neighbor and then people that they called to get me permission on a lot of people were kind of like, Oh, you're bow hunting. Well, you know, you're not going to get anything. Go ahead. And so, uh, so yeah, I think especially if you're bow hunting, uh, don't be afraid to ask permission because you just you never know what can happen. The worst thing they can say is no. So, so those are some of my key takeaways from my Nebraska trip, um, guys. Like I said at the beginning you should do one of these trips. If if this if you have any interest whatsoever, you should do one of these trips. Fairly inexpensive. My tag was less than three hundred dollars. Um I I think I used two tanks of gas in my in my wife's car, so maybe another like hundred and fifty bucks, something like that. Um so all in all, granted I had a free place to stay, but you could camp or you know, something like that um what was that Uh, i probably spent maybe 500 bucks on this trip uh you know three three days basically uh four days if you can all the driving um but so very inexpensive and again i learned i learned so much about whitetail deer on this trip basically because i wasn't afraid of screwing it up you know on my private land i always in the back of my head i'm thinking about you know, do I want to go into this spot? Do I want to, you know, put the human intrusion on that? Do I want to make that noise? Am I going to scare bucks for the future? Am I going to, you know, bump that buck to the neighbors? All that kind of thinking was completely out the window. I mean, I was, I was going in guns a blazing. And because of that, I learned so much. Like I said, you know, I was talking about finding the beds, finding the trails, not finding the trails, which was just as valuable. And so I, I learned so much stuff. And again, I'm going to try to take a lot of that stuff and I'm going to try to, you know, put it to work on our private property, the edge stuff. Uh, I, I haven't got to yet cause I, you know, got home, been, you know, hanging out with the wife and kids and kid, sorry, just one right now. Uh, but anyway, uh, but I can't wait to like, just devour my map and take what I learned in Nebraska and, and put it to place on our work on a, in a uh, man, I can't talk anymore. Can't wait to take what I learned in Nebraska and put it into place on our place in Oklahoma. You know the the edge and the terrain and the creek crossings and stuff like that. So so yeah. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I feel like I missed an announcement at the beginning that I thought of just a minute ago, but I didn't write it down, and that's my fault. Um again guys if you're thinking about doing one of these trips, you should absolutely do it. Doesn't have to be in Nebraska, any western state, eastern state. Um uh yeah, Kentucky, all these early season openers. Um it's just it's just a whole lot of fun. So so yeah, I think that's going to do it for this week. Uh I can't think of that announcement that I was going to mention. Please, please, please uh, reach out to me on social media. I talk about that a lot. Um, I've been having a lot of cool interactions lately. You had a couple out-of-state people message me. You've had some in-state people message me and ask me questions and stuff. And I love those interactions. So, um, yeah, I guess that's going to do it this week, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed my story. I hope you learned something. we got a lot more exciting content coming up. That's going to do it for this week, guys. So, get ready. Season's right around the corner. Uh, like i say all the time now uh be shooting your bow shoot your rifle shoot your muzzle loader your crossbow your slingshot whatever you're gonna be hunting with be practicing with it a lot because the season is right here guys right here so so yeah i hope you guys enjoyed this and until next time i will see you guys right back here on the oklahoma outdoors podcast